Welcome to Partnerships for Social and Emotional Learning, a new series of podcasts from the Wallace Foundation. I'm Lucas Held, Director of Communications at Wallace, and I'm delighted to have you join us today. In today's episode, we'll discuss integrating social and emotional learning across the school day and out of school time. We'll hear about the challenges to achieving this across these two learning environments and the practical steps that schools and out-of-school time programs can take to develop mutually reinforcing social and emotional learning practices and routines. And I'm delighted to welcome our two guests today. We have Kim Price, who is Manager of Social Emotional Academic Learning, and that's an acronym that is pronounced SEAL, at Denver Public Schools. And we also have Catherine Plog-Martinez, who is a consultant with the Forum for Youth Investment, who's supporting the Denver, Tulsa, and Tacoma Paselli communities. And Catherine previously co-led the Denver After School Alliance. So thank you both very much for joining us today. Uh, and let's start out with you, Catherine. Um, why is it important? Why should... Uh, districts and uh, out-of-school time uh, intermediaries and programs think about uh, linking SEL uh, across these two environments. Thanks so much for having us today, Lucas, and I really appreciate that question. When I think about that question, I often start from my place as a parent and thinking about my own kids. When we think about young people, it is so critical and for them to really be successful, the more continuity they can have across different environments, the better. So it's great if kids are receiving social emotional learning in school. It's even better if they're receiving social emotional learning in school and after school. And it's amazing if that social emotional learning can be consistent and connected across school and after school instead of kids having to figure out, wait, am I supposed to manage my emotions here? They know that everywhere people are looking to them to be able to name their emotions, to build strong relationships, to plan and connect with each other. And it just makes it easier as a kiddo to navigate that, but it also makes those outcomes stronger because those lessons are being reinforced. And so again, from that parent lens, what I see for my kids is the more places they're experiencing it, it also gives it credibility. It's not just mom saying it, but it's the teacher saying it and the person in the cafeteria saying it and their after school program saying it as well. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, and Kim, let's let's get your perspective on that basic uh, question. Catherine talked about uh, making it easier for kids to navigate and also the power of reinforcement was the word she used, extra credibility. Um, do those resonate with you? Yes, absolutely. I think Catherine was right on in thinking about the unique opportunity that we have to connect with our students, especially some of our most vulnerable students who are um, perhaps at our schools from seven in the morning to seven at night. And if we can have a continuous through line that 
um, is speaking social, emotional, academic learning for these students. We are increasing their opportunity to be successful both in school and out of school and in life. And when we can do the heavy lifting on our part um, and have continuity of language, continuity of rituals and routines, behavior structures, um, positive supports, um, we are creating an environment where our students can really thrive. So you've seen, uh, 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 anecdotally at least, um, an impact on, on the student body. Absolutely. We know that some of times... Um, well, we know that relationships are very important. And for some of our students, those relationships happen beyond our everyday uh, teachers in the classroom. Perhaps they happen with our out-of-school time leaders, coaches, uh, with other folks in the building. And when we have taken the time to focus on those relationships through social-emotional language, um, we've seen our students really bond with particular adults in their building and form relationships that build confidence, that build um, support structures that create trust um, and really create a sense of belonging. And we know when we have that sense of belonging that our students really thrive. And so we've seen some specific students just really grow from having these trusting relationships rooted in social emotional language. Lucas, that makes me, me think that Kim and I both answered your question from the perspective of students. Um, but we've also seen that relationship growth in adults. And that's another reason to have that continuity. Um, in Denver, I've really watched the team go from talking about school and after school to talking about a community. And when the adults feel they're part of a shared community and they feel like they belong and are connected, it becomes easier for them to build those relationships with students. And they each bring their unique connections to the community and two kids into the conversation and into the service of their students. That's a really interesting uh, transition uh, to Mark, uh, Catherine. And I'm wondering, Rand, in its uh, a study on the early lessons, found that there was a kind of a power differential to, to get over. Was that uh, something that, uh, that, that, that you had to think about in your kind of... Um, uh, advise a role to this project. And then Kim, love to get your thoughts on that as well later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was in a unique position when I was supporting the Denver After School Alliance that I actually sat in the district and so have have experienced that in terms of leading my own staff pre Pacelli. And, and there is a differential. We we need to own that education, K-12 education and after school programs come to this work from different starting points. They have different expectations in front of them. They have different education that they bring to the table, but they also each bring really unique strengths and benefits benefits. And what I have seen as I've supported communities, we've talked a lot about how do you openly have that conversation. And what I've seen, you know, really to point to Denver, um, it's happening in other communities as well, but a number of schools where the school leader, um, the school SEAL champion, and the out-of-school time provider have really been able to identify what are the things that we do really well during the day that would be great in after school? And what are the things that they're doing really well in after school that we can bring into the day? And when we think about those strengths that each brings, it becomes less about who's in charge, who has more authority, and becomes more about how collectively can we learn and grow and improve. So it sounds like people got a view of kind of complementary strengths. That's right. In each of the 
sector. Kim, Kim, was this, from your perspective, a challenge that had to be overcome? Absolutely. I think that um, one of the biggest growths, if I'm remembering correctly, um, in some of the RAND data was that mindsets and perceptions were shifted about out-of-school time providers and um, their role that they have uh, at the school. Um, from being a teacher myself, we had students go to after-school programming and you know, I just had them line up and I said, bye-bye, see you later. And I, I had no idea what they were doing um, with their time. And I think as an organization, um, something that the Denver After School Alliance has really done well is elevate um, what is happening after school to shift those mindsets from being um, perhaps baby, seen as babysitters um, to truly partners in a child's education and a student's education and having the opportunity to um, support growth within that for that student. And so I am. Um, Teachers, educators really shifted their mindsets when we started uh, creating space for these partnerships, um, for conversations where they could collaborate about a student, where they could, in fact, even in some cases, look at student data um, that was in school and out of school, and they could collectively problem solve um, and and come up with some great ideas specifically around perhaps supporting behavior. Or um, if a teacher was having a hard time connecting with a kid because these relationships grew, they could reach out to their out-of-school time partner and say, hey, I'm just having a really hard time connecting with Marcus. Um, and the out-of-school time professional will be like, did you know that he uh, you know, has three sisters at home and, you know, all of these things are happening and they were like, oh, and they could really come together and, and wrap their arms around um, the student through these these relationships, these mutual relationships that had been built. And this, this acknowledgement that we really are one school, one team, one community that all has the same focus on the success of our students. And so that growth was um, unexpected, I would say, um, in shifting those perceptions. And I think part of one of the biggest levers to the success of the Pacelli um, programming. Very interesting. Um, and it's so interesting you're uh, both talking about uh, mindsets because in, in, in many accounts of organizational change, folks tend to immediately go to, okay, what are the three things we're going to do tomorrow? What are the three practices? But you're pointing to the kind of mental uh, maps people have in their heads as something that maybe is a, uh, a, if not a precursor, then a kind of necessary accompaniment to, to uh, practices. So really interesting. Let, let's talk about what it took to make this uh, partnership work. So I think folks have heard from you about benefits for students, uh, 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 additional continuity, reinforcement. Um, should districts and out-of-school time organizations thinking about this be ready to uh, invest time in this? What, what Does it take a lot of work to have this, uh, these mindsets change and to, to make the partnership work? So maybe let's start with Catherine, and then go to Kim. The short answer is yes. It takes a lot of time. Your your comment about really wanting to start with the tactical resonated so much. So I was still with Denver during the planning year and the first year of the Paselli Grant. And we had 
probably an overly ambitious plan. We intended to get to curriculum with kids in the first year. And and what you identified and what Kim is speaking to around mindsets really was our big early learning that we actually needed to get to where we wanted to. We had to go slow to go fast. I know people say that a lot, but we had to pause and we had to really focus on the adults first. And there were multiple ways to focus on the adults. One of them was in helping adults think about their own um, SEAL skills and competencies. But the other and the place where it takes time is in spending time together. We talked about building a community. You can't build a community if you're not sitting in a room together. So our our, um, implementation teams for social, emotional, and academic learning, and this is true, most of the Pacelli communities have built school and OSD partner implementation teams. They have to meet regularly and consistently. They have to have time eventually to get to the point that Kim talked about, of talking about individual kids, but starting with the conversation about what is it? that you do? And how does SEAL fit into that? How does social emotional learning fit into that? And what might you bring to the table? And what do we bring to the table? And they also have to spend a lot of time practicing some of the SEAL practices themselves. Most of the communities use what we call the three signature practices, warm, welcome, engaging activities and optimistic closures. Those provided times for the adults to connect as human beings. They needed to get to know each other. Um, as people to know what they brought, not just in terms of their role and their organization, but as a human being. Kim, how about, how about from your end? Um, sh- should districts be uh, prepared to really invest uh, time into this to make it work? Um, you know, I absolutely agree with Catherine in that it, it does take time, um, but I think even more so is intention. I think we we have a lot of of time, meetings, all of these things scheduled, um, and you know, especially this year, this past year that we've had, we know a lot of things don't go as planned, and so I think it isn't necessarily about finding more time, but how can you leverage the current time that you do have? And I think that is something that we just heard in a meeting yesterday with some of our, our um, school-based staff was, you know, we we have found a time to, to meet regularly, but not just found the time, uh, prioritized that time and made the best use of that time. And so even if it's you know, walking down the hall together, or um, I think some of the biggest learnings we saw was um, our out-of-school time staff would come just a little bit early and visit classrooms and see kiddos in their classrooms and see the language on the walls and, and see that that duality of, of um, common language and systems in place. And so just that little shift um, at five, 10 minutes, what really... Um, was a leverage point for, for our staff. And so, yes, it's, it's about time, but, you know, I hope people aren't hearing like more meetings or, or something like that because nobody needs any more of that. <laughs> Let's briefly hit on a couple of um, specific uh, uh, challenges that uh, Rand's uh, 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 study raised. Um, one was the um, challenge of the, lack of readily available uh, SEL curricula design for OST, which made it a little tough to uh, coordinate uh, with, uh, with schools. Um, I, so is that, is that an issue and any kind of advice that uh, has emerged from your work for other districts on this question of curricula? 
Uh, let's let me uh, uh, turn to uh, Catherine for that. Yeah, I think it, it definitely has been a challenge. And I think luckily, over the course of the Paselli Initiative, we're seeing more SEL curriculum designed for the out of school time space. So that's exciting. But that still doesn't fully challenge solve the challenge that you're you're pointing to and identifying. So I think what we've seen different places doing in, in Tulsa, a number of the schools have selected a theme that they're focusing on for the month. And then it allows opportunity to think about, okay, in the day school, we might be addressing that in part with our curriculum and our explicit instruction. In after school, we can think about how we infuse that into our different activities. Maybe we're, we have an arts unit that we're doing, or we're thinking about poetry, and we can bring those themes into the after school space even without that curriculum. I think in both the school and out of school time space, we have found that while having a curriculum is important, we also need to build skills of our teachers and providers and educators to be able to adapt that curriculum to fit their specific community and to continue to think more about how they integrate whatever the lesson of the curriculum is into all the other aspects of learning and programming. So while yes, it's a barrier, I think that doing what we do great best in out of school time space in terms of really intentional program design is more important to overcoming that challenge than having a curriculum is. And Kim, that kind of echoes your earlier comments about instead of thinking either or school or OST uh, out of school time, that is thinking about unique strengths and benefits. Um, it, it, so I gather, do you think that this um, uh, limited uh, amount of uh, a curriculum that's focused on OST for SEL is a, uh, uh, an impenetrable barrier? You know, I completely agree with Catherine is that it's it can appear as an, um, a barrier at first, but there's so many more aspects that I think um, outweigh that that obstacle. Um, the curriculum is one piece of what we like to call the, the four legs of the stool um, where uh, explicit SEL instruction happens, right? Where we're teaching uh, students language, specifically self-awareness is um social awareness is right relationship building and so in addition to that which is is a very important piece it's about the climate and culture that we create where we welcome self-awareness where we honor students that show up with it where we name um relationships being built where we say oh wow i really see you managing your your emotions um you know how does that feel and so that's the climate and culture that that we're creating a social and emotional climate and culture as well as integrating it into um the programming just like catherine mentioned um you know Historically, out of school time is is a you know positive youth development opportunity for our students, um, whether it's through sports, arts, creativity, playing, etc. Um, how can we see those strengths, those competencies coming out, and and make those connections? Right. So, how can we integrate it? Um, it in day school we talk about integrating it into math, science, etc. After school, how can we integrate it into the actual, uh, the playground, the the interactions, the the circle time, all of the opportunity to reflect, a quick reflection. How did that feel? Um, is a great opportunity for kids to transfer those explicit language skills. And so, I think 
it can initially be an obstacle, just like uh, it was, I would say, in the day school as well, thinking what curriculum, what should we do? Lots of times we look for curriculums to be the answer um, to what we're all looking for. And um, any educator out there will say a curriculum is one piece of the puzzle. Um, it can certainly help, uh, but it is definitely not the, the solo answer. And that's, that's really helpful. And it sounds like both of you, in a sense, are talking about some skills, some ways of interacting with students that in a way transcend a specific uh, uh, curriculum and thus can uh, really uh, be common uniting elements that, um, a, a, as you said uh, at the start, um, reinforce for students uh, 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 ways of uh, 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 ways of productively uh, navigating uh, conflict and um, thinking about um, thinking about tasks that they're working on. Um, Kim, uh, one of the things that uh, you've done to kind of encourage uh, use of these practices approaches have been uh, walkthroughs uh, uh, and quality rating tools. Uh, maybe tell listeners a bit about how that worked in Denver. Yeah, thanks, Lucas. Um, I think that was part of our our biggest learning um, was many, when we talk about the work that we had been doing, many folks ask, well, what does it look like? Um, and so how could we create the picture of what it looks like um, and what we were striving towards achieving? And so we had the opportunity through our partnership with Castle uh, to go down and visit with Nashville um, Public Schools, Metro Nashville Public Schools, and learn from them. They had created a walkthrough tool uh, where they really looked at what would we see um, in a social emotional classroom? What would it sound like? What would it look like? What would adults be doing? How would students be reacting? Um, and so that we could give folks, at a, um, in a sense, a look for um, tool to say, um, this is this is what we're looking for. So they knew what to strive for. And so we took that time um, with a lot of work with the Denver School After Alliance lead, Miranda Cook, um, to really think about what would be mutual in these spaces that we would see in school and out of school. So when we talk about instruction, it was instruction. When we talked about behavior, it was behavior. It wasn't necessarily like in school or out of school. We also incorporated common spaces like the cafeteria, the playground, uh, because we know that that's a great opportunity for a lot of social emotional learning to happen, be tested, um, and an opportunity for students to show and demonstrate those skills. And so we said, okay, let's think about climate and culture. Let's think about academic instruction, explicit instruction. Let's think about integration and let's think about partnership and really think about what would it look like in Denver. We also connected it to our ev educator um, evaluator tool and some of that language. We were intentional in incorporating our trauma-informed language and practices that we had been focusing on, as well as spent some great time collaborating with our culturally responsive team to make sure that we could use some of that culturally responsive language because we know that it all overlaps. Like when we're talking about great instruction and climate, it happens in a safe, secure, culturally responsive, trauma-informed environment. And so we thought about what that would look like, and we created a tool that we could use during school and after school. Um, and we would walk through classrooms um, and out-of-school spaces and just get a sense of, of what was happening and really use that tool to elevate strengths and build on strengths. 
And and the reception for that among teachers, uh, uh, how, how did that go? You know, I would say that's a great question. That was a big learning curve for us. I think uh, here in Denver, uh, the perception is if someone comes into your classroom uh, with a piece of paper and a, a pencil and they start writing things down that they, they're evaluating you. And so we had a lot of work to do on um, changing that perception. Uh, we went from, you know, being in classrooms from 40 minutes and, and typing everything that we saw and heard to just getting a sense and a feel of, of what it was like uh, to be in that classroom and then coming out and really coming together to talk about what we had seen. And we were very intentional on the feedback that we provided and that it was um, what we could say global or grade level specific. We never um, spoke to, oh, the negative things we saw in specific classrooms. We just took some time to to elevate those strengths and share the information with the schools and the out-of-school times together and um, say, hey, what does this mean to you? You know, how does this align with your your strategy of what you've been working on? Um, and I think one of the biggest opportunities that we saw was the opportunity to increase student voice, choice, and leadership. And I think when we put that out to folks, they really began to look at their classrooms and their out-of-school time spaces a little bit differently, saying, you know, I never really thought about that. You know, how do we move past jobs, you know, um, and really get our kindergartners to be leaders? And I would say that some of the biggest growth that we saw was teachers, um, educators really reflecting on the space that they were creating um, for their students uh, to really let them shine and, and be the, the co-creators of the classroom um, where that they could really use those those social emotional skills. Well, thank you for your candor. Uh, and talking about how something uh, didn't work at first, but uh, you evolved it. And it sounds like you were using some of the social and emotional skills, if you will, to uh, inform that adjustment. So I think a really instructive um, story. Let's uh, kind of close this uh, discussion, but I want to turn to each of you and uh, ask, uh, ask you to reflect on sort of what advice you might give to um, districts and uh, intermediaries or providers who are thinking about this kind of collaboration. Let, let's start uh, start with you, Kim, and then uh, we'll close with Catherine. I think what comes to mind, Lucas, is that, you know, social emotional learning isn't anything new. This has been something that's been around. Um, and, you know, through the pendulum shifts in education, it's, it's, it has the opportunity to be elevated and and through the the time right now in our nation um, and and what we've all been experiencing in this last year is is given people a, a bright light to shine to say wow this is really needed and so I think the advice that I would give folks is you're doing it so build on what you have in place build on those those strengths um, build on that language build on. Um, there's pockets of success at every school, uh, elementary schools. This is the essence of most elementary school teachers, right? They just, they want to build relationships. They, they want to teach kids this stuff. And, um, and so I would say leverage those strengths. Um, and within those strengths, really think about how you can connect, uh, with, other departments, other um, other priorities, other community member um, parents, all of those opportunities, all of that, because partnership has been the biggest piece. I would say that has been the growth for us. Um, 
Denver Public Schools and, and the Denver After School Alliance have, uh, I would say, the strongest partnership um, you know, we always are told across the Pacelli. And I think that's because we really spent that time together to develop our own relationships. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Catherine, uh, from your perspective, what advice would you give to um, districts who are thinking about this kind of uh, partnership? Yeah, I mean, my, my advice really, really builds from Kim's. And I think you've heard us both emphasize it throughout that you have to intentionally start with the adults and having deep conversation about what partnership means. And I would say the same thing, even if a district is just doing this themselves. If you're partnering across district and out of school time, you have to have authentic conversations about where you're coming at this work from different places and how you can build together. But even if you're working just within your own system, taking time to think about relationships, taking time to think about what this means for different roles, taking time to think about the supports that come in is is equally as important. But you have to start with the adults first and you have to think about relationships at every step of the way. Absolutely. Well, this has been a terrific conversation. I think it's reminded me of the old adage that in order to uh, benefit students, you really have to uh, think about the adults first because they are so influential. We've heard about uh, benefits to students from alignment. We've heard about the importance of mindsets. We've heard of transcending uh, competencies that uh, in effect sit above practices. We've heard about the need to uh, evolve, the importance of onboarding, and to think about the two sectors as having complementary and distinctive uh, assets. I think this advice is very helpful to people and I want to thank uh, our two guests. Thank you both.